to the ground, Satabria 567, Papa Charlie's at Cyclone Hangar, ready for a taxi for an eastbound departure, and I have the weather. Some days, I just go out there and I fly. Satabria 7, Papa Charlie's, three miles out for 3-4. I don't go anywhere. I just go up and I look and I see the big jets. I used to stand on the ground and look at them and wish I was going somewhere else. Clear to land, 347, I used to stand there and look at them and think, I'd love to be on a beach somewhere instead of in Upton, Wyoming. Now, I don't care if it's 10 degrees out and there's snow on the ground. If I'm in my plane, I'm where I need to be right then. I can look at them and think, nope, I'd rather be down here as one of the little guys flying my own plane by my own hand. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you're listening to the Women in Wyoming podcast series, where I talk with inspiring and influential women around the state and learn about their lives, journeys, and how they got to where they are today. This is Chapter 2, Filling the Void. This chapter features women across the state who address a need or opportunity within themselves, their communities, or out in the world. The void is also symbolic of Wyoming's vast, open landscapes, so you'll hear from women in this chapter who come from some of Wyoming's more rural areas as well. This time, Lori Olson in Upton, Wyoming. Lori is a backcountry commercial pilot, runs the Upton Municipal Airport, and leads a statewide task force to save rural airstrips and create new ones around the state. I talk with Lori about where her passion to fly all began and what she's learned from following her heart and pursuing her dream to fly. Here's Lori. I had to come up with one title. I would say I'm Lori and I love to fly things. (laughs) Love that. Let's talk about your love of flying, Lori. Where did that first come from for you? So I grew up in a family where aviation was huge, and that comes mostly from my dad being a pilot. I'm the youngest of eight children. By the time my sister and I came along, I'm a twin. I think I flew more than I drove as a child. He used his smaller plane delivering parts out to places and rigs, and We'd know he was home. He would buzz our house. He'd like fly overhead. Fly over, yeah, Mm -hmm. at a a lower altitude. And it definitely got your attention. It used to drive my mother crazy, but us kids loved it. And we used the airplanes to get from one point to another. A lot of my older sisters were going to school at the University of Wyoming. And he would fly the 180 down to football games with us to visit Every Easter and Thanksgiving, we'd throw skis in. Sometimes we'd be overweight and have to throw some back out or some luggage, you know, to take off from the dirt strip in Upton. He would do it for fun things like that, but mostly practical reasons is what we used airplanes for. But you were not that pilot at that time, right? You were, your dad was flying and... My dad was flying. Strangely enough, I was afraid of it. I did it a lot, and I think because we did it a lot, I got used to it, but... There were a lot of things about it that terrified me, quite honestly, when I was a child. Well, and I love that it was such a family thing for you from those ski trips. And I mean, what a cool way to grow up and experience life. I'm wondering if you can describe just Lori's life before you decided to go back to become a pilot. What did your world look like? Because it was kind of a lot different. I was a teacher, high school Spanish teacher. I was teaching in Gillette, and then we moved back to Laramie. And I got a job at the university and worked my way up into 
running the reference department at the archives at the American Heritage Center, which was the most amazing job ever. I didn't even like history till I started that job and ended up getting my master's. And then I got pregnant with my daughters. And Joe had been, he had finished an engineering degree. He went back to school and was consulting and said to me one day, I think I want to move back up to the Gillette area because that's where things are really booming. He's a civil engineer with a hydrology specialty and and I said, that'd be great. My mother is getting older and needing some care and people to take her to the doctor. So I said, I'll commit to that. We moved back, bought the house that I grew up in, that all my siblings grew up in. My dad was born on the draw up on a house right there. And my mom bought a modular and moved it up to the spot where he was born, actually. So it was about, I don't know, 100 yards from my house. And my daughters grew up running. There was a, literally a path in the grass from them running back and forth to her house. And it ended up being one of the favorite parts of my life. Sadly, I by the time I started flying, my mother wasn't in a place mentally. She had some dementia when I told her, Mom, guess what? I'm going to go fly a plane. She's like, oh, I'm sure your dad's going to go with you. And I said, he does every time I go up, Mom. So, you know, that was a really, even though I knew she didn't understand what I was talking about totally. That was one of the biggest things for me in my flight training when she said that, because I always feel that way when I fly. Flying and particularly your dad, such strong imprint on your childhood and those experiences, but you said you were kind of afraid of it. So what was the turning point for you where it came back around in your life and you thought, maybe I want to start flying now? For myself. Once I had my children, my daughters that are twins, being back in that environment in the house, I remember sharing the stories with them. Oh, you guys, when my when I was little, my dad used to buzz the house when he was home. And, and they're like, what? I could tell they are not understanding what I meant. By that time, he was gone. My brother hadn't flown for 20 years. My brother-in-laws hadn't flown for 20-some years. And I th- was looking around thinking... Who can give them a ride so that they can see what that's like? And I just thought at that point, you know what, I'm ready. I guess it's going to have to be me. And me just thinking, if I could do anything I wanted when my mother's not here, what am I going to do when my children don't need me? What am I going to do? So when you asked yourself that, if I could be anything, do anything, was the thing that came back to you, I want to fly? It was. And maybe a little bit of guilt mixed in to even go think about doing something that was for me. I love being a mother. I, I love that I have my daughters. I loved that I was fortunate enough to be able to raise them and be there for them. And I love that I took care of my mother. But I knew that wasn't all. I knew there was more and that no one was going to hand it to me. No one was going to suggest that, try this. I knew it had to come from me. And I had the aviation thing in the back of my head, and it just really became so strong that I just thought I have to go do it. And also, I was so excited when I started my flight training. I think I told everybody I knew that I was doing it. And then there was this pressure that, you know, I've told the grocery store lady in Newcastle that I was doing it. Why did I do that? Um, But I was so excited about it. So I really felt this sense that I'd started down that road. I want to finish this. Literally after the first discovery flight, when I went in and said, I want to get my license, I see you give lessons here, I was hooked. 
you're also in this leadership position that not a lot, a lot of women are in. So can you talk about going from getting your pilot's license, but now also managing the Upton Airport as well, and just what that, what what is that like, and what does that mean? One of my instructors told me, be careful in this business when you get something in your head. Sometimes it actually happens, and. I had read a book from about Ernest Gann, who was a pilot, and he had mentioned that. Like, the funny thing, you know, when you're dreaming, sometimes it actually comes true. So I got my license, and I thought, what's next? I want my own airplane. Then I started developing a list. Like, what would I want to do in my own airplane? Like, if I could do anything, and I wanted to fly backcountry a little bit, I thought, that would just be fabulous. I love nature. I love going to some of those places. What if I got a plane that would do that? And then I would think back in my dad giving my sister and I rides in the back of the PA-11, which is a Piper Cub. And we'd buckle in and I'd be screaming, no, no. And my sister would be going, yay, yay. And my dad would do a loop in the Cub. Like a flip? A flip. So I thought, well, maybe I need to have a plane that goes upside down. So I found my plane and my plane found me. And I was doing some training in it. I had these giant tires that they wear out faster on pavement. And my instructor said, since we have to do a lot of landings, let's go to a dirt strip. And I said, Upton would be great. I grew up flying out of there. So we flew down and there was a big pile of dirt in the middle of the runway on the end of 1-3. It was still on the charts. I'm like, no, that's normally not there. When I was a kid, I don't remember that. It had been a lot of years since I had been to that airport. It was very emotional, even flying there, thinking about landing there, because here I was. Never in a million years would I have dreamed that I would be flying my own plane to the airport that I flew out of so much that was home to me. So I was feeling emotional anyway. And I'm like, what is going on? So we didn't land. We went back. I called up the city and turns out they were turning it into a dump, which you really can't do that. You have to decommission it because pilots see that on the chart and putting piles of dirt on it. They had put some garbage there already. So my brother and I are like, this isn't right. You know, this is our, this is our airport. And once they're decommissioned to get them back, the rumor was even to get a dirt runway and was almost a million dollars. So we thought we cannot let this be decommissioned. So we saved the airport and the city council approved letting us keep using it as an airport. I flew up and flew my plane up for the kindergartners. We're doing a transportation unit, and they brought a little tiny bus up to the airport. And I'll never forget, I had already landed, and I was standing in front of the plane, and the class came forward, and one of the little girls said, who flew this plane here? And I was like, I did. And just having those moments have been probably some of the the most rewarding things for me as why I'm doing what I'm doing and putting the little girl in my the front seat and putting the headset on her and saying, you can do this too. That's such a powerful moment to imagine that little girl, you know, wondering who the pilot was and then to get to see someone like her. Absolutely. And it's very empowering and it's a great feeling. And especially when I fly, I try to share it on social media and I hope that if there's little girls out there or high school girls and they're thinking, wow, if she does that, maybe I could do something like that. Actually, not even little girls. I want everybody to be pilots. That's how passionate I am about it. I feel like supporting those pilots out there, and there's a lot of us, not just women, but men that fly for recreational purposes. We're not just flying to get from point A to point B. It brings a lot of joy to our life. And we're flying to meetings all over the state. We're flying to camp. 
we're flying to visit people. We do it for fun. We do it as, as a means to get somewhere as well. And there's a lot of us out there. So these little tiny airports are important. It's important to keep the runways available. What's also unique about your journey as a pilot is that you prefer to land off pavement. And if you can tell me a little bit more about that, but also what the climate looks like in Wyoming, because you're on a commission as well right now to sort I'm of help a preserve. Task force looking at funding smaller airports, but I also am the Wyoming liaison for the Recreational Aviation Foundation, which is a group of pilots that started in Montana that were sitting around a campfire at a little grass strip and saying how wonderful this is and places like this are going away. What can we do to preserve those and get more of them? And Montana has a great support that way. Idaho is known for this kind of flying and all these opportunities. Wyoming, I feel like right now, we haven't done a lot. There's all these little pockets of pilots. Um, We don't even have a pilots association anymore. But people are kind of doing their own thing. And then I stepped up and agreed to be the Wyoming liaison for the RAF and started looking around at where could we put some strips or where are strips and talking to people. Have you seen any great places? And several people had told me about this strip down by Miracle Mile, the fishing section, the great fly fishing section of the Platte River. And I started looking at it. It's on BLM land. I had to talk to them and start negotiating about reopening it. It had been abandoned for years. It was used when the Little Cordes Dam was put in to check power lines. Part of what I'm charged to do is go find places like that in the state and either resuscitate them and get them active again and open for recreational use. So I'm happy to say the Miracle Mile Strip was my first one. That's how aviation has worked out for me. Like once I think it in my head, have this dream and this vision, somehow it happens and it's almost magical. And honestly, since I've started flying, I can say I've fallen in love with the state of Wyoming all over again and seeing this wild, beautiful landscape from the air, it just changes how you think about everything. You know, five years ago, having not even gotten your pilot's license and now revitalizing the airport in Upton, saving it from becoming a dump, being on this commission to save other rural strips around the state. How has your world opened up in new ways now? The minute you land a plane by yourself, I can't describe that feeling until you've actually done it. It really makes you feel like you can go climb Everest and it makes you feel like I can do whatever I want. I mean, I just brought a plane out of the sky, this big hunk of metal, and I'm still alive. And for me, some days I just go out there and I fly. I don't go anywhere. I just go up and I look and I see the big jets flying on top of me. And I thought, I used to stand on the ground and look at them and wish I was going somewhere else. I used to stand there and look at them and think, I'd love to be on a beach somewhere instead of in Upton, Wyoming. Now, I don't care if it's 10 degrees out and there's snow on the ground. If I'm in my plane, I'm where I need to be right then. I can look at them and think, nope, I'd rather be down here as one of the little guys flying my own plane by my own hand. So yeah, I don't I don't know where this is going to end, but I'm not sure I want to know. I feel like it's just every time I feel like I go in my plane, a door opens somewhere. And how lucky am I that I'm in that situation, that I do feel like I can do this. And I want to be doing this when I'm 80. And I still want to be climbing up on my giant tires and checking my oil and my fuel caps. 
And some days when I wake up and start thinking, man, I wish I would have done this when dad had come to me in college. But then I think, I don't think my story would have turned out the same way. Sometimes I think everything happened the way it was supposed to for me to get to that point. And it makes me feel better then. There's no, there doesn't do any good to say, I wish I would have done this. But then in retrospect, that it had to have almost happened this way for me to, to do it. And I felt like I'd waited so long. But once you start meeting, there's people who start when they're in their 60s. And there's a woman who's 72 on one of my groups. And she is doing her introductory flight. And I think it's wonderful because... It is a good message, and it's a good feeling to realize, you know, at what point do you say, my life is over? Hopefully never, that you keep going out there and finding things that are fulfilling to you and and give you joy, the greatest joy, and flying has done that for me. What is your hope for this next chapter in your life? Because five years ago when you set out on this path, one of the biggest motivations was this transition that you're coming up to with your girls going on to college and leaving the nest and what is your feeling moving into this next phase of your life I think I see myself in September starting my certified flight instructor certificate and you know I used to be a teacher in a former life it seems like so long ago but education has always been a big part of my background and working at the university after teaching in Gillette and then volunteering in the schools. And I remember taking my flight training and constantly as I'm learning, I'm always thinking ahead, this would be a great lesson. I think I would flip it. So I kind of envisioned myself carrying that forward to flight instructing and being available, being a different face out there and a woman in the Northeast corner of Wyoming teaching flying and going to get another rating because... I think it keeps me going and it it keeps me motivated. It keeps me healthy. So that's what I see myself doing when my daughters leave home, getting my CFI. What is your wish for your daughters as they are beginning the next chapter of their lives? We're in this transition. They're graduating from high school and have two very different pathways. But I tell them, my wish for you is that you find your passion and that it might take you a while My wish for you is you maybe find it before I did in an earlier time in your life, but that you find it and you don't let things stop you from pursuing that like doubt or fear or if someone tells you you're not good enough or if your mind tells you, I'm not good enough to do this. Take a big bite, shoot for the stars and you'll never be, you'll never look back then and say, I wish I would have done that. So my wish for my daughters is that no matter what they choose, that A, they're, they go be who they're supposed to be and that they don't let doubt or someone telling them that they can't do it stop them or change. You know, if there's something that you want to do and you like, try it. You know, that doesn't mean you're gonna succeed at everything. Some things maybe you're not cut out for, but you don't know till you go try. That was Lori Olson in Upton, Wyoming. To see Lori's full profile and portraits, visit the project website at womeninwyoming.com. That's womeninwyoming.com. You can also follow the project and my journey on Instagram at womeninwyo. That's womeninwyo, as well as on Facebook at womeninwyoming. 
This chapter is supported in part by the Wyoming Community Foundation, the Bobby Modell Charitable Fund, and the Equipoise Fund. Momentum is our nonprofit fiscal partner. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you've been listening to Women in Wyoming.